Amen. I want to, I got to get right into this today. (laughs) We've got to hit the ground running because there's a lot to share um, with what we're talking about today. So we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed. Today we're going to be looking at this phrase here. We're not even going to do the whole phrase technically. It says that he was crucified, dead, and buried. So we're going to talk about crucified and how he died. We're going to kind of tag buried onto the next one uh, next week. But today we're going to talk about the crucifixion. And there is so much, it's so rich, I couldn't even include everything I wanted to, but there is a lot for us to get through today. So we are going to begin in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, actually. And the book of Isaiah, just so that we have the right context here, was written hundreds of years before the life of Christ. In fact, it was written before the Roman Empire even existed. And it was written before crucifixion had been invented as a means of torturing people. And, and putting them to death. And so I want us to look at the book of Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. And, and I want us to see that even then God had ordained the manner in which Jesus would die on the cross for us. And I want us to see that everything that God said about his Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the crucifixion. And so look with me in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. So in case we're getting lost in the pronouns, this is a messianic prophecy. Jesus had not been born yet. And so what he's saying is he is this this chosen one that's coming. He is the promised one, the one that they're looking for, that grew up before him, talking about the Father. So let's continue. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. For he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. So this is describing this Messiah. He was not someone that looked like a leader. He was not someone that people thought, I want to be just like that guy. He was someone who was rejected by people. We did not esteem him. I heard a preacher one time say, sounds like Jesus was pretty homely, right? Kind of guy that only his mother would love, right? That's what he says, and that's what this scripture tells us about this promised Messiah. It goes on. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed." All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. We talked about this last week. Before Pilate, Jesus didn't make a response to all of these accusations that were levied against him. Let's continue. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due? 
His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. And therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So this is a prophecy that's given about Jesus. And what we see is Jesus fulfilled this through and through. And we're going to see some others from the Old Testament that come into play. But right now, just realize that Jesus did all of this for you. Jesus suffered through all of this for us. It was our Sin. It was our iniquity. It was our wrongdoing that earned the punishment of the cross. Jesus did absolutely nothing wrong. Never even told a lie. Jesus was pure and holy. And yet he suffered so that the iniquity of us all would be upon him. So that our sin would be paid for once and for all. So last week. We talked about Jesus before Pontius Pilate and how before the governor accusers came against him and and he had to just stand there and listen to these accusations. He made no defense for himself. He, He made no argument against their attacks. And he just stood there and let these men decide his fate. And so at the end of all of that, it says this. Then he released Barabbas for them. This is Pontius Pilate. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, I don't want to brush over that too quickly. Because being scourged is not something that we continue to practice today. But it was a serious form of punishment in and of itself. Uh, We have descriptions from the contemporary time period that, that... this was taking place in where they would take a whip that had multiple strands on it and at the end of the strands they would put pieces of of bone or wood or or other hard and sharp objects and then they would proceed to whip a person with this device until their back was bloodied until literally pieces of flesh were ripped out when Jesus was scourged it was not just you know a paddle like we get at my household Right? It wasn't something that was just a, a, an implement of correction. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. This was horrific in and of itself. And he was scourged, even though he had done nothing up at all. And it says, then he handed him over to be crucified. Let's continue. And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him 
put his own garments back on him, and led him away to crucify him. You see, they knew the charges that had been levied against Jesus. They knew what he was being put to death for, for the claim that he was the king of the Jews. And so what they did is they performed a coronation, the cruelest coronation that you could imagine. Yet still, they coronated our king. They crowned him. And it was by suffering this that Jesus won our freedom. That Jesus paid the price that we could never pay ourselves. That Jesus paved a way for us to have access to our Heavenly Father. Not only did these Roman soldiers do it, Pilate also, it says in John chapter 19. By the way, I think I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it here again. The Gospels are four accounts of the same person's life. And as you can imagine, when four people tell the same story, they're going to tell different parts of the story with different emphasis. And these guys wrote this with intentionality. They were saying, I want you to believe something about Jesus. I want you to see Jesus the way that I saw him. And they assembled and they compiled and they put together the story so that they would fulfill whatever point they were trying to specifically make. And as they did so, they included different parts of the same story. They noticed different things during that day. This is a full day's worth of events, really a day and a half if you conclude from the time that the trials began the night before. And so with four different accounts, we kind of bounce back and forth to get a bigger picture of what all took place. And so we jump over here to John chapter 19. It says this, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. And therefore many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And so it was was amazing that Jesus there on the cross has an inscription above his head that says, This is the king of the Jews written in all the common languages of the day, so that everyone who passed by would see this is the king of the Jews. Not an accusation. He said he was the king of the Jews, but literally labeling him the king of the Jews. And Pilate wouldn't change it. You see, Jesus really was the king. And all these people, they they didn't recognize that they were participating in the exact honorific that That God was giving to his son. There's even, I didn't include this one, but Caiaphas, days before, was plotting to murder Jesus. And there were some people who were giving him some pushback saying, I don't know that we should put him to death. Really, I don't think that's a good idea. And so he says, well, I think that it's good for the nation that one man should die. It's good for All the rest of us, if one man were to die. And he was saying that to justify his decision to murder Jesus. And what he didn't realize is that he was prophesying exactly what Jesus did on the cross. By one man's death on the cross, the many are saved. 
And all of these people are participating without even realizing what they're doing. They're fulfilling scripture without recognizing it in the moment. And Jesus was crowned king because he was willing to suffer for us. Look with me back in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. You can stick a finger in John 19 because we're going to come back to that one too. But um, in Matthew 27, if we continue the story there in verse 38, it says, At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross. And and we, oh, excuse me, we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the two robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now Luke records another perspective here that it wasn't both robbers. He says this in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 40. It says, but the the other answered in rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? This is one robber speaking to the other robber. As they're hanging on either side of Jesus on the crosses. He says, we indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And then the soldiers Oh, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. And so we see that we have these, these criminals crucified on either side, and we see the crowds that are gathered around Jesus. So not only has he been whipped and beaten in, in the most gruesome and painful way you can imagine, then they've caused him and made him, forced him to carry his cross. And when they get to this hilltop, They lay the cross down and lay him upon it. And then they pierce him through his hands or his wrists and through his feet. And then they hoist the cross up into the air so that he is hanging by these these three nails. And while he's there, he's been stripped of his clothing and people are walking by. And as part of the practice and custom, they're hurling insults at them. This was part of their culture that whenever people are being punished, then they receive all of the punishment. We're going to add insult to the injury to make sure that this deters anyone from ever doing it again. And the chief priests are there. They're the ones who were saying, oh yeah, you said you were the son of God. You said God was pleased with you. You say that you're his beloved son. Why don't you ask God to take you down off the cross? If you are who you say you are, why don't you get down from there and save yourself? You said you could save many. Why don't you save yourself? Start with you. And they're hurling this abuse at Jesus. And he just receives it. He accepts it. 
He doesn't shout back. Instead, he offers grace and mercy to the thief on his side. Jesus went to the cross and still mercy is on his mind. Still his compassion defines who he is. It goes on in in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. It says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, and so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture. And then he quotes, they divided my outer garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. And so the soldiers are making sport of the fact that Jesus is being abused up there. That Jesus is suffering shame and just unbearable torment. He's quoting from Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, David is speaking and he's feeling the anguish of all of his enemies around him. And somehow the Spirit of God moving in the heart of David causes him to predict and speak about a form of punishment and death that hasn't been invented yet. Psalm 22, it says, Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan, Having circled me, they open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. And that was a common thing that would happen to these people as they hung in a way that was not suitable to be hung. Their joints would literally come out of socket. He says, my heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Don't forget that one. We'll get to it in a minute. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them for my clothing They cast lots. We're going to get to this one too. I count all my bones. This is a my bones will not be broken statement. It's also quoted from another passage as well. But here's Jesus on the cross fulfilling the scriptures. Suffering in our place and yet offering compassion to those around him. It goes on in Matthew chapter 27. We hear this anguish of our Lord. He says, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. For three hours, it was dark all across the land. It says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I think I didn't practice that one. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who were standing there were, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge. He filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. 
But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now listen, when this takes place, remember, it was dark for three hours. This is the middle of the day. The sixth hour is about noon. The ninth hour is about three in the afternoon. Darkness covered the land. And then in the sixth hour, it says that he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Listen to what takes place. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. These guys had seen a lot of people die. They were specialists in execution. They knew what it was whenever someone died on the cross. They'd seen it. That's why they can sit there as he's dying on the cross and say, hey, who wants the, you know, his top coat? Who wants this? Who wants that? Oh, that tunic, you want to tear it in four pieces? No, let's not tear it. Let's, let's roll dice and see who gets to take that one home. As Jesus suffers on the cross behind them. And the reason they can do all that is because they've seen it so many times before. And yet, when Jesus gives up his spirit when Jesus is done something is different it says the veil is torn from top to bottom that's a very significant thing that I don't have time to preach on today but I've preached on it before it says that the earth shook that tombs were opened up and people came walking out of the tombs These guards who witnessed the death of Jesus, who were pagans, who didn't honor God, who didn't believe in the God of the Hebrews. These are Roman citizens. Romans are known for their their plethora of gods that they worshipped, made sacrifices to. And these Roman soldiers said, this guy was different. Truly, this was the Son of God. Now listen, this is heavy, and I think it's supposed to be. You know, we, we love the cross. We sing songs about the cross. We, we put crosses up everywhere. We decorate the crosses, and I believe in doing all of those things. It is what we look to for our salvation. But let's not forget how heavy of a sacrifice the cross really was. Let's not lighten the suffering that our Savior went through on our behalf. Let's not ever forget just what Christ endured. Now listen, 
just to confirm that Jesus really was dead. It was crucified, dead, and then he gets buried because we know that he did. Listen to what it says in John 19, verse 31. It says, the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath day, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. It was a special Sabbath asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. You see, it was an offense to them to have people hanging on these crosses and for them to die on the Sabbath day and then have to deal with that. It was kind of offensive and they wanted it to be taken down and, and cleaned up. And so they go to Pilate and they say, hey, look, you know, it's, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's the sixth hour of the day or seventh hour of the day. We really want these guys gone before sundown because that's our Sabbath day. Could you kind of hurry this along? And the way that they did that, the way that they hurried that along is they would break the legs of the people on the cross and that would cause them to be unable to hold their weight up any longer and they would suffocate just because of the way that they were hanging there on the cross. And so they're asking that this might be done. And so the soldiers came. They broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was all ready, dead. They did not break his legs. One of the soldiers, they pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture. They shall look on him whom they pierced. Just for context, those things come from the book of Psalms and and Zechariah. In the book of Psalm 34, verse uh, 20, it says, He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. So when Jesus was there on the cross... He died for you and for me. And I think it's important to note and say with confidence, he died. That's why they say he was crucified, dead, and buried. It wasn't that he was crucified and fainted and they put him in the tomb and he he recovered suddenly. Not that anyone would recover from something like that. But no, he really died. And these Roman soldiers who knew what it was to see a dead man, they came along and they said, that one's not dead, break his legs. That one's not dead, break his legs. They got to Jesus and they said, pretty sure he's already dead. Well, let's check. And they shoved a spear through his side. They knew that he was dead. His bones were not broken, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Now listen, there is victory that comes from this. We sang earlier, I'm going to see a victory. This is how our victory was won. Because the price was paid. Now the celebration that comes from this, we're going to get to not even next week, but the week after. 
Because that's when we talk about the resurrection. Jesus comes back from the dead. He was crucified and he did. And he did. He died. And we know that for certain. All the witnesses were there. The experts of death were there. We know that Jesus died on that cross. And today, I think that we're just going to kind of sit in that for a moment. Because I think it's important that we come back to it again and again. That we come back to the fact that Jesus suffered a gruesome, horrific death. It wasn't something that was over and done with quickly. It wasn't something that was, that was just an easy death. It wasn't quick and painless. No, Jesus suffered. He suffered bodily. He suffered emotionally. He, he suffered beyond what we can understand. He even cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus suffered for us. Let me take you back to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, 5, and 6, it says this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Listen, sometimes I think it's so important that we stop and remember what Christ suffered and that he suffered that for me, that he suffered that for my sins. It's my shortcomings, it's my falling short of the glory of God that Jesus paid for on the cross. I think it's important because sometimes whenever we think we've found the answer, it can lead us to pride. When we think, oh, I know the answer, I know the truth, I have found the way that leads to life everlasting, and I want others to know it too. But if we come from a point of pride, no, the way I've found is better than your way. The way that I have found leads to true life and true happiness. It leads to the, the life everlasting that will go on and on forever. And we look at other people and we say, oh, you fool, you've chosen the wrong path. You fool, you have looked in the wrong direction. And we, we consider them unworthy Compared to us, we consider people to be lesser than we are. And we need to come back to the scriptures and remember all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So we don't look at others as if they're our enemy, as if they're trying to lead us astray. We look at people with compassion because by the grace of God alone, we have found the truth. If not for what Christ did on the cross, I would have no hope of glory. It's not because I was so smart that I ended up on the right track. 
It's not because I was so, so holy or righteous that I am in favor, in the, under the favor of God. It is because of His grace and His grace alone. It is because of what Christ did on the cross for me. It's because Christ took upon Himself the punishment that I deserve. Because Christ took the stripes that were, that were set for me. Christ took the, the shame that was set for me. Christ took it all in my place so that I could have liberties, that I could have freedom, that I could have fellowship with God on high. Christ did it for me. And because Christ did it for me, I know that He can do it for you. And as we speak to our brothers and sisters of humanity, even those that are not yet brothers and sisters spiritually, they are brothers and sisters because they're made in the likeness of God. As all of us were, we speak to them pleadingly. We speak to them with, with humility and grace because it's not that we have found the way, it's that we were found by the one who made the way. And it is God and God alone. Who receives the glory in our life. And so we remember that Christ suffered on the cross. He died a horrific death. And we remember it because it's important for us to remember that we deserved the fate that he took. We deserved it. And he died in our place. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have shown us who we really are. That you have made clear to us what it is that we really deserve. And it's not grace. It's not righteousness. It's not fellowship with you. What we have earned in this life, your scripture tells us, is death. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus, you demonstrated the very kind of death that we deserved. But thanks be to God. He found a way where there seemed to be no way. Thanks be to God that he wrapped himself in flesh came in the form of a bondservant and was willing to suffer at the hands of men the punishment that we all deserved. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Without you, without your sacrifice, I would have no hope of glory. There is not enough good that I can do to outweigh the bad. The standard is purity, and I am impure. I thank you that by shedding your blood, you have offered a, main, a means of cleansing. That though my sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Because the blood of the Lamb washes it all away. Jesus, thank you for being the pure, spotless lamb, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the one that was righteous enough, that was sufficient enough that the veil of the temple could be torn in two, and that we can boldly come before the Father 
lay our requests at his feet. Receive mercy and grace to be everything that he's called us to be. Oh God, help us to live according to this truth. Forgive us when we are prideful. Forgive us when we think that we've saved ourselves. And remind us of your amazing and wonderful grace that has made a way where there seemed to be no way. Be glorified in us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This morning, I just invite you to respond to the Lord. Let Him lead you into the truth. Sit for a while and remember the sacrifice that He made for you. Let his love motivate you to do what he's called you to do. This morning, I don't want to let the opportunity go by, but I want to invite you, any one of you, if you've never heard the story or you've never stopped to think long enough about what the cross really was all about, today could be the day you turn your life over to Christ. The short, simple version of this is that we are all sinners and that sin deserves death. And Jesus, out of love for us, went to the cross and died in our place. The means by which we get to heaven is not by doing righteous acts in his name. It's not by being good people. It's not by telling truths. It's not by giving money or spending our time in the right places. The way that we are saved is to believe that Jesus died for my sin. To believe that Jesus died for your sin. And because he died for your sin, you're willing to surrender the rest of your life to him. God loves you that much. And this morning, if you need to respond to that love and say, I have been trying to save myself. I have been trying to just live a righteous life. I didn't realize that my sin earned the cross. And Jesus took it in my place. This morning, let me invite you to surrender Surrender your life to Him. You can't save yourself. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross that we have any hope of salvation. This morning, you respond to the Lord as He leads you, as Keetron leads us in song.